The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you ever stopped to think that the best and worst place to live is in your mind? Think about it. We can create our own destiny or our own downfall. It all has to do with the way that we choose to think and see things. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with your host, Dr. Paula Joyce. Dr. Paula is here with her guest experts to show you just how to change that negative way of thinking and see your world in a positive light. Now, here is Dr. Paula. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and I'm grateful to be here with and for you today. You are all part of a global community with fellow listeners in literally every corner of the world. Thank you for being here with and for me and for continuing to spread the word to your friends, relatives, and colleagues. A special note of gratitude goes to our listeners around the world world in Spain, Sweden, and Thailand, and in the states of Kansas, Kentucky, and Louisiana. Welcome, and thank you all for your continuing support, because you keep tuning in and listening. Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit is a top-ranked show here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the oldest and most widely listened to online talk radio network. Thank you for listening and making this show success possible. I love hearing from you, so please keep sending me your questions and comments. And now for your tip for the week from my ebook, 33 Tips for Self-Empowerment. I wrote this book because when you are self-empowered, you are connected to your limitless higher self, your soul, as you learn to hear the still, small voice within over the loud voices of others you will begin to feel at peace because your limitless higher self has direct access to the divine. It is through this connection that miracles occur like unexpected healing, healthy relationships, peace, and wealth. So please use these tips. My tip for this week is in honor of our topic today. Turn fear into love. Fear is an illusion. Use it to create the positive. When you go into fear, ask yourself, what quality of love do I need more of? Compassion, forgiveness, patience, empathy, understanding. Then look for ways to bring that quality of love more strongly into your life. Since love and fear cannot coexist if you focus on love, you automatically release your fears and worries. These are the teachings of Buddhism and all religions, especially in these times of growing hatred toward people who we think are not like us. It's important to remember that underneath it all, we are really the same. 
all the religions are based on love and all peoples are more alike than we are different. Recent DNA studies are showing people how complex we really are. We carry many races and nationalities within our own DNA. When we express hatred toward a group, we may be expressing hatred toward our own relatives. At base, we are all human beings. It is time to celebrate and honor how similar we are and stop looking for what creates difference. Hatred of others is always based in fear. So remember, you can turn that fear into love and honor the divine in each and every one of us. The labyrinth is an ancient spiritual tool which helps you do this with ease. It is a walking meditation that contains spiritual energy which helps you release fear, hear the divine, and become more of who you really are. You can learn more about the labyrinth by listening to our second on-demand show with the Reverend Dr. Lauren Artris, who brought the labyrinth into wide use around the world. To listen to her March 27, 2014 show, go to my website, paulajoyce.com, then read my blog on the labyrinth. I led a walk two weeks ago that had such a profound effect on the people attending that they asked me to lead more walks. I'm in the process of arranging to do this because the labyrinth and other tools that will help us release fear and experience the love of the divine are greatly needed right now. And we need a variety of ways, including ones that we can use at home and even when we're out with other people. That's why my next seminar is entitled From Fear to Freedom. I will be sharing a variety of techniques that will help you release your fears and worries. Love truly is all there is. Fear is the illusion that blocks us from feeling unconditional love from the divine. It prevents us from doing the very things that would bring us the most joy. It's time to let go of fear and replace it with love, joy, and peace. There are seven primary fears and numerous secondary fears. All of our negative emotions come down to fear. The seven primary ones are anger, resentment, guilt, mistrust, apathy, shame, and denial, or not being truthful with ourselves, which includes self-sabotage and self-criticism. During our time together, you will let go of fear, stress, and worry. Learn techniques to use on your own. Become closer to the divine and your limitless self. Heal Mother Earth as you heal. Improve your health and well-being. Feel and be younger. Be more creative. Have more joy, happiness, love peace and freedom. We'll be at CSL Dallas, the Center for Spiritual Living, Sunday, December 11th. If you don't live in Dallas, contact me to present the seminar or another one in your area like the Am Awakening, Embodying the Divine Feminine. Looking ahead, my seminar on financial abundance, What You Don't Know, was so well received that they asked me to do a full day seminar on it. And in 20 
2017, I will continue to do my monthly seminars at CSL Dallas, a center for spiritual living, starting in January with one on positive thinking. I've chosen to do that one next because so many people are telling me how they are being overwhelmed with negative thoughts and fears, and they are asking me to help them learn how to stay positive. So first, we're going to learn how to release our fears on December 11, and then on January 14, we're going to learn how to keep our thoughts positive and find the silver linings. It's a challenge of our times, and I want to help you do it. Choosing to be positive, choosing to think, see, feel, and act in new and healthier ways is the heart of Uplift Your Life Nourishment of the Spirit. We all have choices, but we can't make the best choices for ourselves if we don't know what the options are. This show provides you with new information on health and healing with an emphasis on spirituality and the connection between our thoughts, emotions, and physical and mental health. We can all choose happiness, gratitude, abundance, love, peace, and positivity as we allow ourselves to know the truth of our own experiences and feel the pain of our past or present life and let it go. We open ourselves up to the joy of being fully alive in every moment. We change the energy in our body and literally become younger and healthier, feel lighter and have more energy. We truly know and feel the joy, beauty, and love in our lives. My show helps you do that by providing you with new information, perspectives, and techniques, inspirational stories, and guests who are thought leaders in their field, like our guest today, when Wendy Garland, who will talk with us about the important role of women in the Buddha's life. Our show before Thanksgiving with was with Roger Houston. We discussed how he's learned to drop the struggle and love the life he has. It's in the striving for something just beyond our reach that we find ourselves stuck in misery. We never have enough and we never are enough as we learn to relax into our life and stop wanting it to be something it isn't. We actually start to enjoy what we have. Often it's the little things or the things that we take for granted that are the most meaningful. For instance, Roger and I both discovered that a lot of our writing time is spent just looking out the window, enjoying nature from the comfort of our living room couch. At one point in my life, I would have considered that wasting time. Now I realize that My mind is relaxing so that my best ideas can emerge. I'm actually engaging in a process that will allow my ideas to flow easily once I open my computer and start typing. As Roger points out, you have to allow yourself this time to disengage from continuous striving, self-improvement, self-criticism. To listen to this show, I encourage you to click on the episode link. You can hear this show or any others that you may have missed or want to listen to again. That's the beauty of having the shows on demand. You have easy access anytime, day or night, allowing you to listen when it fits your schedule or needs. 
Now it's time for my silver lining story. Thanksgiving is supposed to be a time for gratitude, a time of giving thanks. Most of us imagine how other families must be gathered around the dinner table enjoying each other when in fact our own experience is often one of arguments, yelling, drinking too much, or some other kind of discord and dysfunction. This Thanksgiving was even more challenging than most because many families had members who voted differently in the presidential election. Some tried to institute a rule of no political discussions, which was successful to some degree. Even still, the judgment and anger was just under the surface, poisoning the atmosphere and or erupting in moments when the feelings were too much to keep hidden. It's like we were all sitting on a powder keg waiting for an explosion. The stress was so high that many people got sick after the holiday because stress compromises our immune systems. Other people waited until after the holiday and made angry phone calls to family members who voted differently than they did. People who don't know how to manage their fears, worry, and anger are experiencing a stronger response than those who have learned how to process uncomfortable emotions. My silver lining story is about a client who has learned to process her emotions in a healthy way. She came to me about three years ago with a lot of anger, resentment, guilt, and anxiety over the way her family has treated her throughout her life. In many ways, she is invisible. Her brother was always the favored child. Neither her brother nor her elderly mother will visit her for holidays. Sometimes they get together with or without her, but never at her home. The mother and brother communicate with each other, but her brother ignores her attempts to communicate with him. And although her mother will call her, she doesn't ever follow her daughter's advice or take her her feelings or wishes into consideration. After a lifetime of trying to make it different, my client has finally come to a place of acceptance of what is. She doesn't like it, but she knows she can't change it and has stopped trying. Letting go of the expectation that the situation will change is a huge step in her healing from a lifetime of abuse. She still feels sadness about it, but she is able to acknowledge that sadness and let it go with more ease because she has given up the struggle to try to make it different when truly there is nothing she can do to make it different. On her Thanksgiving vacation with her husband this year, she experienced some additional silver linings. Animals often appear to her as spirit guides. Their presence gives her information about her progress. This time, pelicans appeared in large numbers, diving in and out of the water, feasting on fish. They showed her that she can feel deep emotions and then rise to the surface and experience the joys of life. In fact, these last few months, she has been doing exactly that. Despite experiencing and releasing her childhood pain, she has been laughing a lot in her improvisational class, making new friends, exploring the uniqueness of her voice in her voiceover class, and following her love of yoga and interest in Buddhism by planning a month retreat in India. 
She loved watching the Pelicans and the amazing hotel she stayed at, despite being ignored by her brother, who was a few miles away. She has learned how to rise above the pain in her life and experience the joy. This is quite a silver lining. She is now the main character in her own play and no longer invisible to herself. Our guest today is Wendy Garling, who is a writer, mother, and independent scholar. She has a BA from Wellesley College and an MA in Sanskrit language and literature from the University of California, Berkeley. Garling has been a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner since her travels to Asia in her 20s. She teaches Buddhism and has been teaching in the Women's Spirituality Program at the Women's Well in Concord, Massachusetts for 18 years. Her book is Stars at Dawn, Forgotten Stories of Women in the Buddha's Life. You're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor. If you want to get uplifting messages between shows, please click on the link to like us on Facebook. As one person wrote me, I didn't know I needed this, but it brightened an otherwise melancholy day for me. Thank you. In addition to posting all of our shows, I post special uplifting messages to you and I repost videos that will make you laugh, feel good about all of the kindness in the world, fill your heart with the beauty of nature and animals, the delight of dance and music and the joy of being alive. With all the violence, hurtful words, anger and fear that is being spread, we must find a way to keep ourselves positive. Only like and follow the people who add positivity to the world. The answer to hate is love. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. While listening to the commercials, use the link on this page to like us on Facebook. Then friend Paula Joyce, and I will help you be part of the solution. Then click on the link to read about and register for From Fear to Freedom or to schedule an event in your area. Then go to the calendar of events to see your question for today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Wendy Garland, who will talk with us about the important role of women in the Buddha's life. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals, solve your most challenging problems, and unleash your inner power. Visit PaulaJoyce.com or call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, at 214-208-3533 to find out more and to schedule your free consultation. Whether it's individual or group, business or personal, attain success with ease. Mention that you heard this on Uplift Your Life and receive 10% off your first service. Call 214-208-3533 or visit PaulaJoyce.com today. Time for a fresh perspective from leadership development to team building and re-imaging your mission. 
Dr. Paula has game-changing speeches and presentations crafted just for you. She has helped leading experts solve their key challenges and can help you too while reducing stress and increasing your profitability. With Dr. Paula, you will find common ground in innovative solutions. Start now with a free consultation. Call Dr. Paula, the life doctor, today at 214-208-3533 or visit paulajoyce.com. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I always appreciate hearing from you, my listeners, and as a top-ranked show, when you choose to advertise with me, you reach hundreds of thousands of people. If this interests you or if you want to become part of the conversation today, please call 1-866-472-5795 or send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. I value you and what you have to say, so please let me know what's on your mind and heart. I hope you wrote down if the stories of the women in your family have been forgotten. I'm so pleased to welcome Wendy Garland, who will talk with us about the important role of women in the Buddha's life. Wendy, welcome. Thank you very much, Dr. Paula. I'm very happy to be on your show. Um, Well, I'm grateful to have you on the show. And I was wondering what got you interested in this topic to begin with? Well, as you mentioned earlier, um, I've been a a Buddhist practitioner my whole adult life, and that's been very fulfilling um, in many ways. But at the same time, I notice there's a tremendous amount of patriarchy and sexism in the Buddhist tradition, just as in many other global traditions um, in religion and otherwise, as you know. And I've always felt a little dissatisfied with the origin story of the Buddha and his life and the story of his enlightenment and so forth, because it's always told as a solitary story of this man who, um, as you know, was dissatisfied as a prince and went on to seek higher truths and become enlightened with very, very little mention of women. And I felt there had to be more. And so in Sanskrit years ago, I came across a few stories that were kind of enticing. And it's only more recently that I followed up with several years of research into the uh, ancient Sanskrit and some Pali literature and found actually there are many stories of the women in the Buddhist life. And it was thrilling to have those pieces um, and those stories to put together in my book. I I know that you refer to them as forgotten stories, but I actually wonder, because there is such a consistency across religions of leaving women out, I'm wondering if we have been written out of history as opposed to just forgotten. 
Well, I think I think you're right, Dr. Paula. I think I'm being somewhat generous in using the word forgotten. Um, to a certain extent, it's probably accurate, but of course, um, also the women have been written out. Um, the way the stories began in India was through hundreds of years of oral tradition. So if you can imagine that warm spot in India sort of spawning um, bards telling stories about the Buddha's life and so forth. And those stories, I have found, the ones that were recorded, were filled with stories of women and the sacred feminine, um, it kind of mirroring the culture of the time. But when it came time for those stories to be recorded and written down, um, that's when they went through the, the monastic, the male monastic filter. And I feel that it was a huge turning point for Buddhism at that time because the male monastic mind, um, to be generous, might, I would say, didn't find these stories relevant to Buddhism. Um, but I would say also um, they redacted the women's stories because somehow patriarchy kind of owned Buddhism at that point, or felt it did, obviously, um, and decided they weren't important and left them out. So the ones I found, I was thrilled they'd survived 2,500 years um, and had been translated, most of them, but forgotten now in our Western archives. Um, some of the stories I found, well, most of them actually came from the 1800s where they'd been translated from Sanskrit that came, you know, thousands of years prior to that. But those also had been forgotten all over again in the Western scholarly world. So they've been forgotten and omitted and redacted and dismissed just like women's stories in many traditions. Well, uh, yes, and 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 often in current times as well. Um, yes. And so I think that what you're doing about looking back in history is relevant also to women today. I I certainly think so. I wouldn't have written a book if I didn't feel that way because. F- For example, for me as a Buddhist woman, um, it gives me a tremendous sense of connection now to these women. Um, I can't tell you how exciting and how um, thrilling in some ways finding these stories became for me. It was really one of the happiest times in my life is spending my time doing this research. And I couldn't believe how I kept finding more and more. I just had this sense of, my goodness, I have so many. And then this sense of gratitude when I would find more. So I think, I think for non-Buddhists or for men, of course, too, I think anytime we find role models that are strong, that have wisdom, that have agency and so forth, that helps all of us. And so many of the stories I found, these weren't passive women. Uh, these weren't women that, you know, just were sort of in the margins of the stories. These were women who were central to the Buddha's life and central to the stories. And I found that very uplifting. And I feel that's relevant today, whether you're Buddhist or not. I mean, we all need, we all need those kind of role models. We all need that kind of marker, especially from ancient cultures that can help us today. Uh, yes, we need to know about women of strength and courage and conviction. And despite um, the way they were treated, they still somehow may manage to maintain their um, sense of, of self and to continue to do good in the world, despite the fact that they were ignored Um, often or mistreated. 
Well, in the stories that I looked at, um, the uh, portrayals of the women were by and large very favorable. I, I don't recall any of mistreatment, although, of course, we can imagine in the patriarchal culture at the time and, and after that, of course, that would take place. Um, well, what, um, ex- excuse me, let me stop for a minute. What I mean by that is even just by the role that they had to play. So, for instance, if you're a woman who's been um, who's in the Buddha's harem, not by choice, but by her father's choice or circumstances wound up there, but not because that was something she really wanted, that seems to me... Um, to be mistreatment. Yes, I, I agree with you on that score. That That's not emphasized in the stories, but what is emphasized, you're right, these women did not have choices um, the way we would imagine having choices. They weren't literate, they didn't have education, and there were harems that were built around conquest. You know, a patriarch would conquer the neighboring kingdom, and then the booty was the women, and they would come back and become part of the harem. That's not in these stories, but that's in the history. But what I loved finding was these stories, however they were told, um, gave agency to these women. And these women in many stories, including the women of the harem, had spiritual aspirations and had aspirations to learn the Dharma. And one of my favorite stories is when the Buddha goes back home as the Buddha, his uh, stepmother, Gotami, invites him to give uh, to dinner and to give a teaching in the women's quarters. And women's quarters is code for all the women, but including the concubines and the harem women. And they 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 loved that. They rallied to that, and they and that became one of his first Dharma teachings: is teaching the women. And these same women, when Gotami left and became the first nun, became her disciples. So the harem women continue. Um, throughout the arc of his life as having agency and spiritual aspiration. And at the very end, when Gotami dies, um, there's her beautiful hagiography that I, I summarize in my book, and we hear that the harem women also attain arhatship or nirvana, just as she did. So the harem women also attain realization. And I just found that uh, such a beautiful part of the story. I, I do think that's lovely, and I also really love the the birth story, the story of the Buddha's birth. Would would you talk to us a little bit about that and why that story is important? Well, I think it's important because I think it needs to change from the way we hear it conventionally, and I address that right off the bat in my book. Um, we hear the conventional story that really there were no women present, and they marginalize his mother as much as possible, and the Buddha is born miraculously, not a natural birth, but miraculously from her right side. Um, the, her mother, his mother, excuse me, Maya, dies almost immediately, and then she's, quote-unquote, out of the picture, which I think, you know, was was a relief or the intention of the uh, editors, the monastic editors, although I'm pretty sure historically there's no question that she did die. But what I found in going back to some of these what I will call forgotten stories, is there's a lot of stories of her agency, and she wasn't just being sent by her husband to visit her father, which is what we're told. Um, There's beautiful dialogue between Maya and her husband about how she knows the time of delivery has come, 
and it's time to go to the to the grove where women give birth. And she calls the shots on that. And so her husband's role and her father's role is to support her. And they're actually in one story worried about her because there's some sense that she might not survive the childbirth, but they're very loving and supportive of her in the stories I found. There was none of this sort of dominating and or cruel patriarchy. So she goes to the birthing grove surrounded by women, and this grove is a place only for women who know all about childbirth um, and that these traditions are handed down um, through the generations, which um, there's a lot of archaeological evidence that this birthing area where the Buddha was born predated his own birth. It was an established kind of sacred grove to the goddess who protected women in childbirth. So I go through the details of that and also the details that we find on her pregnancy, which are sort of humorous when you realize the ones that went through the male filter, they're, they're very humorous and sort of magical. They have nothing to do with a real woman's pregnancy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you read that chapter, but, you know, and I, I handle it very carefully and very graphically, you know, in terms of how they want to describe it. But what I want to bring back to the Buddha's story is that he was he was born not surrounded by Brahmanical gods magically, but he was born surrounded by, you know, women and, and that his mother um, did die um, shortly after his birth from childbirth, not from all these sort of mysterious ways that um, the male monastics say. Um, but also, I think an important part of the story is that immediately his mother, Maya's sister, Gotami, took the baby Buddha to her breast and became his mother. And I think that that is is a very important part of the story of Gotami because we almost only hear about her as a nun. And we know she was his stepmother, but I think the continuity there is very beautiful. And I also researched and found many stories of her as his mother before she became a nun. So I think the nativity story needs to be revised in the common conventional uh, version because it's just inaccurate and it's totally sexist the way we hear it today. So it kind of writes women, well, that gets back to my first um, at the beginning. It's writing, literally writing the women out of the story like they didn't exist. Absolutely. And and I, I, I honestly think when it came time to write the stories down, that's what happened. I think the stories I found had thrived in the oral tradition. And in many cases, you can imagine, or I, I'm pretty sure it's true, the oral traditions were shared woman to woman. Um, so they would obviously um, have a different slant, if you will. But when the guys got a hold of those stories and started writing them down, you can say, well, they didn't have religious purpose or they were trying to give a nod to Brahmanical gods, you know, because there was some tension between early Brahmanism and Buddhism, whatever. But um, the women were written out, absolutely written out. So I would just feel grateful, so grateful that some stories survived. Absolutely, and I'm grateful to you for bringing all of this to our awareness for all women and people, whether you're a Buddhist or not, to know yes. the history. Um, it's an it's a window into the history of the world um, and and how people lived in community and what the relationships were. Yes. 
Absolutely. That came through so powerfully in the stories because we don't just learn about the women in the Buddha's life in the stories that I found, but there's a, there's a, a matrix, a network of women in interrelationship that, you know, we know intuitively had to have been and, and we know intuitively in true relationship that is the case. But the interrelationship of the women and the harem's a big part of that, not as sexual partners, that's such a cliche to us, but as, as women in the women's quarters who were um, part of the palace life. Um, and we learn a lot about his father, because of course he's part of it too. And in the Buddhist stories that I found, his father was a very kind and compassionate and caring father, who in his own way, as sort of the flustered king who was, you know, dealing with a difficult son, was very, very loving and um, in the end did his best to be supportive, even though he was so disappointed when his son finally left. But we learn also about the Buddha's playmates, his male playmates mates as little boys, who at least one of them, I'm pretty sure, was his half-brother um, because he was born from his father's harem to one of the um, consorts. Um, but this would, was the charioteer who goes on later to um, help the prince leave his hometown when he goes off to pursue his yogic activities prior to the Enlightenment. That charioteer, if you really go back in the stories, is dealt with tremendous respect and reverence um, throughout the Buddha's life, and it appears that he was the Buddha's half-brother. So we learn a lot about just relationship, not just women, and I think that's very powerful. I, I agree. Um, what What was your favorite discovery? I, I know we've talked about a number of things. I'm just curious as to what struck you the most. Well, that's a great question. There were many. Um, as I told you earlier, I was just so delighted along the way as I researched. But one area that was very strong um, and very powerful as a theme throughout many of the stories, and you realize I found stories that came originally from Sanskrit and Pali, but when I found them, they'd gone through China or gone through Burma or Thailand or um, Sri Lanka. So by the time... I, I got to them, you know, that they, they still hearkened back to um, the Sanskrit origins. But my really favorite theme was the theme of the goddess. And this isn't a Buddhist goddess. This is the goddess of the culture in which the Buddha was born that was much more matriarchal, much more uh, female-friendly, if you will. And, and women... That, and these are the women that carried the stories forward from this culture. And the goddess was not just um, an, an animated part of nature, but she was a wisdom goddess. And she appears at important stages in the Buddha's life to move the story along. When he is born under a tree, the tree is animated by an indwelling goddess who kind of, she lets the branches down to support his mother while he's giving birth, for example. And when he later meditates under a tree, there's an indwelling goddess who protects him during that time. And when he's becoming enlightened, we know he was enlightened under a Bodhi tree, but we don't know, but the stories told me that that was also inhabited by an indwelling goddess who was looking after the um, events. And she had been um, kind of the guardian of the Bodhi tree, kind of mythically, throughout the eons for all the previous Buddhas. And when he finally arrived, she was overjoyed and she made preparations for him to take his seat under the Bodhi tree. So this is the mythic level 
but it's also a level that shows us that early culture that honored women and honored the agency of women and the the main um, spiritual guides in many, many cases were women and uh, goddesses uh, who were holding wisdom and compassion as, as their uh, main um, function, really, in the stories. And I was thrilled to find that. These aren't Buddhist uh, goddesses. These are the goddesses of ancient India. Um, that's really beautiful, and I think a, a good time for us to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk more with you about the women's stories, about the sacred feminine, and um, maybe the Dalai Lama, I believe you had the opportunity to meet him. So um, I look forward to continue our discussion. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. While you're listening to the commercials, click on the link to sign up for my newsletter. You'll receive the free chapter on my ultimate creative problem solving from my best-selling book, which will help you release hidden fears and blockages to hearing your soul, your true self, your inner wisdom, healing a deep Deep levels and getting what you truly want in life. This process came to me in that space that Robert Moss talked about between sleeping and waking. It was a gift from the spiritual realm that helps my clients align their conscious and unconscious mind and move forward with ease and speed. They change from the inside out, creating lasting change and self-empowerment. Now in your paper, write down which women in your family do you want to know more about? Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Wendy Garling, who will talk with us more about the important role of women in the Buddha's life. Be the change. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals, solve your most challenging problems, and unleash your inner power. Visit PaulaJoyce.com or call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, at 214-208-3533 to find out more and to schedule your free consultation. Whether it's individual or group, business or personal, attain success with ease. Mention that you heard this on Uplift Your Life and receive 10% off your first service. Call 214-208-3533 or visit PaulaJoyce.com today. Time for a fresh perspective from leadership development to team building and re-imaging your mission. Dr. Paula has game-changing speeches and presentations crafted just for you. She has helped leading experts solve their key challenges and can help you too while reducing stress and increasing your profitability. With Dr. Paula, you will find common ground in innovative solutions. Start now with a free consultation. Call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, today at 214-208-3533 or visit paulajoyce.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. 
You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor. Welcome back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. And I hope that you wrote down which women in your family you want to know more about. Um, And I'm so glad we're here with Wendy Garling talking about the important role of women in the Buddha's life. And we left off talking about the goddess, which, of course, is a mythic um, concept. And I'm curious how this relates to sacred feminine and what exactly you mean by the sacred feminine. Um, Okay, well... To me, the sacred feminine is, a, you know, a sense of our connection to the earth as as a uh, an entity of interdependence. We're interdependent with all of nature, and within that interdependence, uh, I personally experience a sense of wisdom and a sense of harmony, or at least harmony is is a certain intention or purpose or awareness of that connection. Um, and I was one of the reasons I was so thrilled to come across these stories of the goddess is I felt that this was an ancient culture that totally um, intuited the sacred feminine in all of nature and in human beings. And one example that um, I also found really fascinating was not a goddess at all, but the, a symbolism of the sacred feminine as it was expressed often through the human women. And in particular, I think many people who know the Buddhist story are familiar with the story when he was starving during his austerities, um, that there is a, a, uh, there comes a, 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 upon him a woman uh, named Sujata. And traditionally, we're told that she provides a bowl of rice milk to him, which is the first food that he takes um, after his austerities. He's been starving for almost six years. Um, and we're, and this is part of the story that is accurate, and I'm going to tell you that more to it. But what that bowl of rice milk symbolizes in terms of the sacred feminine is the Buddha had gone to from one extreme to the other. He had been a prince living over the top with luxury, and then he'd gone to the extreme of starvation when many thought he'd actually died. He was, you know, he was totally comatose practically and emaciated from not eating. And this milk that she brings him symbolizes in a way the mother's milk. Um, In fact, in the Tibetan tradition, it's identified as colostrum or a type of colostrum. But this revives him and it symbolizes from the point of view to me of the sacred feminine of him reaching an inner balance um, where he's no longer at the extremes. And this is part of Buddhism, the middle way. So he takes this milk and he begins to eat again. The part of that was a surprise to me that's the next piece of that story is that it's not necessarily in every story the first meal he takes after the austerities, but it is similarly nurturing in that it is the last meal he takes as an ordinary man, and it prepares him for the 49-day uh, lapse of, of eating, his retreat during the Enlightenment. So it's his last meal as an ordinary man. He goes to another 49-day retreat during which he is enlightened, and then it's after 49 days that he takes another meal. So she really symbolizes in so many ways. As a human woman, um, she's cast in the role of really um, expressing the sacred feminine. 
I'm wondering, this is a detail, but I'm wondering if 49 means something. You know, I'm sure it does. It's seven days. It's, it's seven weeks, seven times seven days. And I, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure the origins of that. Um, the, the enlightenment period of 49 days is often described in terms of each week. You know, there was a week of this kind of meditation and a week of this kind of circumambulation, and there was a week of this and that for seven weeks. Um, I also know that in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, the, the time period between life and death, the bardo, is 49 days. So something tells me there's a connection, but that's one I'd have to research further. Well, I think just what you were saying, the 7-7, seven, seven, because 7 is such a powerful spiritual number, it uh-huh. must have to do with the duplication of it 7-7 seven, seven times. Um, yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, interesting. So it's always good to have something we don't know, more to learn. <laughs> oh, I tell you, this was just a starting point for me. There is so much more to learn, and there were so many areas where I had to turn away from more research because I had so much more to do. I'm hoping this book, my book, uh, will be a starting point for scholars and just for interested people to um, research more because there is certainly more, and there's more uh, that needs to be translated as well. Uh, that's wonderful, kind of the tip of the iceberg. So we look forward to more. Um, I, and in your first chapter, you talked about Buddhism getting off on the wrong foot. Will you talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, again, I'm talking about when it was recorded, and then this is the, the uh, record that has come down to us today. I mean, the way it's come down to us Today, patriarchy totally co-opted the whole story of Buddhism from the beginning. So in that sense, I would say from the nativity onward, it got off on the wrong foot because it's either all about the Buddha or it's all about the men in the Buddha's life, never the women. So it got off on the wrong foot because it should have been telling a more, a more accurate and more balanced nativity, and we should be hearing about the women throughout his life. Um, and that's not what has come down to us today. When you met with the Dalai Lama, and I understand you've had the privilege of meeting with him several times, do, is he aware of your book? Would Did you talk with him about it? What was his um, take on it? Well, um, actually, my first meeting with him was the most personal meeting, and that was in the 70s when he was a little more accessible. Um, I have been um, at his teachings and in his presence and occasionally uh, a little closer than that uh, in more personal situations ever since the 70s. Um, A year ago, I spent five weeks in India um, in the Tibetan uh, settlement in the south um, where I was with him every day, but so were many, many others uh, hearing Buddhist teachings. And there was also a, a conference However, um, I have, through a friend who had a private audience with him about a year ago, sent him, before my book was published, I sent the manuscript um, with a, a, a printout of the cover and a cover letter to His Holiness telling him what I was doing and explaining um, exactly my sources as a scholar. You know, he's very particular, and I, I wanted to present the book as authentic and not something flaky that I made up, but these are authentic sources. 
So I wrote him um, a letter, a cover letter, and my friend delivered it personally, and His Holiness gave it his blessing, um, and I sent it also with a, a white kata, a silk scarf, which was returned to me, blessed by His Holiness. Um, so I would say I didn't directly give it to him, but I hope to, now that the book is published, I hope to have a chance to give it to him directly. But I do feel that my book has his blessing, and I was told by my friend and um, Jimpa, uh, Jimpa Lai, his translator who was present, and someone else that His Holiness, you know, was engaged and in the conversation and seemed, um, you know, very favorably uh, disposed towards uh, the presentation of my manuscript in the book, and, and that made me very happy. But he did put it on his head as a blessing, the manuscript, and then returned to me the white scarf. So I'm I'm very happy about that. Oh, that makes me smile, too. I'm happy for you um, and for all of us because I think that this work is so important. I, I wanted to go back to the harem for a minute because it, it, it it's as you pointed out, it was more than just sexual. Um, they weren't just sexual objects for the Buddha. What what was their role? What did they do all day? What 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 was their li- What were their lives like? Well, you know, I wonder that too, Doctor Paula. Um, I can only tell you what I found in the stories. I think I say somewhere in the book that we know very little about what went on in the harem, and I kind of make the joke, apparently what went on in the harem stays in the harem, but we, what I do find, and I do intuit from what I researched, is that the harem is sometimes just another way of saying the women's quarters, so it's not just the sexual partners of the patriarch, but these are, you know, the the women, the the older women, the the aunties, the grannies, the, sort of like in the Middle Eastern harems, it was a place of protection for women, and it was sort of the patriarch's larger family. Um, in terms of what they did all day, um, I would imagine, this is where they raised children, I would imagine a lot of it was very ordinary. Um, in terms of the, the consorts and the more erotic aspects of the harem, we hear a lot about um, they were all musicians, and I, I, would, I would love to hear the music, but of course that's not something that can be handed down. But they talk so much about the musical instruments and the music and the dance, and there's a very joyful feeling that comes from that aspect of the harem. And then, as you know, in India, this is the time of the Kama Sutra. This is the same period, the same place. So the arts of love were very refined. This is not, you know, what we might think of in, in sort of Western terms as sort of a, a distasteful brothel or something. The arts of love were very, very refined and very well described in the literature, not the Buddhist literature, but in the Kama Sutra and perhaps other literature. So the, that, the sexual aspect of the harem, as I read about it, you know, is always very refined in the way it's described, and, and it's seen as a refuge for the patriarch. So when the Buddha, for the Siddhartha, which was his name before he left home, the prince is disquieted by the suffering he sees in the world around him, and he's beginning to get anxious about leaving, his refuge is the harem. And it's not necessarily for sexual pleasures, but it's the refuge of music, the refuge of, I'm sure, delicious food and and all kinds of luxury. So I think we need to broaden our imaginations a little bit in terms of what harem meant in those days, in those terms. And in many ways, it was just the women's quarters. You know, we're also, um, you know, the grannies lived and the mothers and so forth, and the women lived together and like a village. 
That's a, a, a great note to end on. And would you take a few seconds just to tell us about your upcoming trip to India? And then we need to close this section of the show. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, this is exciting news. Um, it's just coming together right now. But I will be co-leading a pilgrimage uh, to the Buddhist sites in India in January of 2018. And it, um, the, the pilgrimage will go to the, the usual sites, and they're all the sites that are mentioned in my book. But what I'm going to bring to the pilgrimage are the stories, the stories of the women. So not only are we following in the Buddhist footsteps, but in the footsteps of the women according to these stories. And right now the details are um, being worked out, but BuddhaPath.com is the organizing entity in India, and I'll be uh, co-leading with Shantum Seth, who's a very well-known and well-regarded pilgrimage leader. So BuddhaPath.com will have the details in the next month, and my own website, WendyGarling.com, will also have the details very soon. Wonderful. Thank, thank you so much, Wendy. I wish you the best. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Paul. I've enjoyed being on your show. And thanks thank to you. all your listeners. Thank you. And I'd also like to thank my listeners for joining us for Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. If you enjoyed today's show, please click on the link to like us on Facebook. Then click on the resources page to purchase Wendy's book. Um, You can always schedule an appointment with me for um, uh, coaching or speaking um, and of of course, my workshops, and if you want to register for From Fear to Freedom, click on the link and go to the calendar of events and press click here to send me an email. If you live in Dallas, I invite you to experience my ultimate creative problem-solving process, click on the meetup link on this page. And please join us next Thursday when Jerry Lynch will talk with us about how parents and coaches can let children succeed and actually enjoy sports. This is Dr. Pauly, your CM or chosen mom, as designated by Bernie Siegel. Remember, you are loved. Just let that feeling wash over you and through you. Have a blessed week. Thank you for tuning in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Please join Dr. Paula Joyce and her guest experts next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until then, have a positive week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.